Welcome to this week's sermon from Amblecote Christian Centre. Well, thank you all so much for such a lovely, warm welcome. It's a real privilege for myself and Debbie to be here this morning. Thanks so much to Tim and Emma and the whole of the Justice team for inviting us today. And um, we're just going to share a little bit today about some of the work that we do. Um, So we, as Tim said, work for a black country-based charity called Transforming Communities Together. Uh, our mission comes from John uh, 10, uh, chapter, uh, sorry, John chapter 10, verse 10, which says that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I don't know about you, but as I go around the black country, I see pockets of that. But so many people are struggling, aren't they? So many people, for life is really, really hard. And so what we do is we work with churches like yourselves. We work with uh, other community groups, other faith groups, uh, increasing with councils as well. Anybody who wants to see people thrive and flourish. And we work in partnership with them. But part of our work is around modern slavery, which is what we're going to be focusing on today. But I'd like to thank you all as a church for being brave enough to explore issues of justice and poverty as a whole church. I think when I was thinking about this, so often people can think that justice issues are just niche things. They're just for those people over there, those people who we send out. Maybe we send them abroad. But actually, when you read the Bible, justice and poverty is issues that we should all be care about because there's so much on God's heart. Work helping those living in poverty and experiencing justice can be seen um, in every part of the Bible. Almost every page of the Bible speaks of God's heart for the poor, of his concern for the marginalized, of his compassion for those who are oppressed, and his call for justice. In fact, did you know that there's estimated to be about 2,000 verses in the Bible just on poverty alone? uh, Many of you will know Bono, who's the front man for U2. He got to speak at a national prayer breakfast in Washington, D.C. And he talked about this theme. And he said, that's a lot of airtime, isn't it? And we know in the Bible, whenever something's repeated, it's repeated because it's important. So this is important to God. This is what is on God's heart. James, Jesus' own brother, was quick to teach and, dare I say, rebuke the early church for thinking that combating poverty and injustice was just a spectator sport. He said, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing for their physical needs, what good is it. In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Wow, that's a really powerful thing, isn't it? And I know you as a church are very good at being active. You're doing all sorts of wonderful things, and we really uh, want to bless you in that and encourage you in that. But for the rest of our time this morning, we're going to be exploring God's heart for those experiencing injustice through the lens of Paul's writing in the book of Galatians. He's going to help us to explore together the theme of freedom, what it means to be free, and how many in our society are not actually free, because in fact they're modern day slaves. We'll also look at how each of us can be people of hope in our communities, in our daily lives. 
So when we're exploring such a serious and harrowing topic like modern slavery, it's vital that we must always protect ourselves. Safeguarding yourself and the victims of this evil crime is always key. So therefore, I'd like you to join me in saying this prayer that we'll put up on the screen together. It was written by a national anti-slavery charity called the Clure Initiative, who we're privileged to partner with. And it's based on Psalm 147. So if you want to join with me. Loving Father, who gathers the outcast, heals the brokenhearted, and binds up their wounds, bring liberty and freedom to all whose lives are entangled in slavery and trafficking in our world today. Lift up the downtrodden and tread wickedness into the dust. We make our prayer through Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit in perfect freedom, one God, now and forever. Amen. So if we look at our particular passage in Galatians that we're going to be looking at today, that's chapter 5, verse 1. And it says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. It's a really short verse, but actually we're going to unpack some really, really important points from that. So just to put it into the wider context, Galatians is the ninth book of the New Testament. It's written in the form of a letter from Paul the Apostle to a number of early church communities in Galatia, which is now what we would call modern-day Turkey. And it would have been read aloud like this to the whole church. In the letter, Paul is principally concerned with an argument that was happening in communities about whether non-Jewish background Christians, kind of new Christians, had to follow the teachings of the Old Testament law that Moses had given. Things like that males had to be circumcised and they could only eat special food and things like that. Paul argued that these new Christian followers of Jesus didn't need to get tied up in some of the old rules, some of the old religiosity, um, because Jesus had brought freedom, and that was really key to him. So Bible scholars, when they're talking about the book of Galatians, say it's an eloquent and vigorous apologetic for the essential New Testament truth that people are justified by faith in Jesus, by nothing else and nothing more, and that they are sanctified, made pure, by, not by legalistic works and not by following rules, but by the obedience that comes from faith in God's work for them and in them and through them by the grace and power of Christ and the Holy Spirit. So it's not anything that we've done that makes us free. It's because Jesus loves us all. That's why we're free. But so many people get bound up still now today in those old religious rules, whereas Jesus just wants us to be free to pursue a relationship with him. And this book, Galatians, has had a life-changing impact on the church. So um, many of you will know about the Protestant Reformation. It was led by um, a man called Martin Luther. And they call Galatians Luther's book because it impacted him. And it led to the separation of a whole new church from the Catholic Church at the time. And a lot of that teaching and preaching that Luther did came from this book. So it's been a really life-changing book. So let's pray it might be life-changing for us today. So as we explore Galatians 5.1, there's two twin themes that come out again and again. One of hope and one of freedom. 
And I was struck the other day about how many Hollywood films mirror these themes. I don't know about you, but me and my family love films. We have family movie time. We borrow a projector from work. We get popcorn. It's really good fun. Um, But if you think of some of the classic films that you may like, uh, The Great Escape, Easy Rider, Escape from Alcatraz, maybe The Long Walk to Freedom or The Shawshank Redemption, or when Indiana Jones just escapes certain death from being squashed by a boulder or a big um, stone that's about to come down on him. So these twin themes of hope and freedom are woven so much by Hollywood scriptwriters. But the Bible is inspired by our creator God, the original scriptwriter, set designer and director. And he also has all these themes throughout his word. Page after page of the Bible reinforces this theme of hope and freedom that we can all receive freely through our relationship with Jesus. Hope and freedom are key themes in the story of every follower of Jesus. I know that they are in mine, and you might want to reflect later on how they are in yours. One of the biggest things a relationship with Jesus brings is forgiveness, a release from all of the things that we have done wrong that would normally come between us and God, that would normally otherwise block that relationship with God. So Jesus died for us so that he could take away those sins, those things that we got wrong. Thanks to his ultimate sacrifice of dying, we receive his forgiveness so that we can once again be free to have that perfect relationship with God. And this is such an important thing for us to grasp, whether we've been following Jesus for, uh, for years and years or even if we haven't yet started that journey. So we're just going to explore that together now. Hebrews, another book in the Bible, describes it like this. How much, therefore, when the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness from acts that lead to death, so we may serve the living God. I don't know about you, I really need that cleansing of my consciousness. Sometimes I'm all too aware of all the things I get wrong, the things I should have done that I didn't do, the things I did do that I shouldn't have done, the cross words I said, the the flippant words I said. But actually, our hope is that by giving those to Jesus, he takes them away and we can start again. A famous theologian called A.W. Tozer explains it like this. He said that God wills it that we be free as birds to soar and sing our maker's praise without anxiety. I wonder how many of us today sitting here feel free as birds to soar and sing. We might feel very weighed down with worries of life, maybe weighed down by the things that we've done wrong, but there's a chance today and every day to keep giving that back to Jesus so we can be free to soar. I think that's such a brilliant um, image to have in our heads. A famous preacher called Charles Spurgeon put it like this. You can stand before God as if you were Christ, because Christ stood before God as if he were you. So we can do that because of what Jesus has done for him. We can stand before God knowing all the things that we've done wrong, but God doesn't see that because Jesus has taken that away from us. So back to our passage in Galatians, Paul talks about the exact opposite of this. 
He calls it a yoke of slavery. And this is a really, really powerful image, especially for those people in modern-day Turkey who were there. But it might not be such an image for us sitting here in Amblecote or Stourbridge today. So let's have a look at this little picture today. Uh, it might be a bit harder to see right at the back. But what do you see? When I was looking at this, I see the physical shackles, what we call the yoke, forcing these oxen in a particular direction. Maybe they don't want to go in that direction, but it's definitely forcing them in a dire that direction. It looks blooming hard work, doesn't it? There's all, they're stuck in the mire of that mud. They're straining against an impossible load. You can imagine the pain on their necks and their backs as they try and pull this plough through all of that mud. The sheer drudgery of tramping through the mire day after day after day, not being able to deviate from the direction that their master is enforcing. And that, you may feel that actually that's a bit of an image that resonates with us, but it certainly resonates with people affected by modern slavery. So the estimates are that it affects over 40 million people worldwide. That's more than any other time in history, more than at the height of the transatlantic slave trade. Today is International Women's Day, but women and girls compromise 71% of all modern slavery victims. So we've got a long way to go in tackling this. Children sadly make up 25% of all victims and account for 10 million of the slaves worldwide. A person today is considered enslaved if they're forced to work against their will. They're owned or controlled by an exploiter or an employer and have limited freedom of movement or are dehumanised, treated as a commodity or bought and sold as property. And that's really hard to believe nowadays. In fact, the gangs, the trafficking gangs, will call their victims horses because they're subhuman. They're not human beings to them. They're just things to be bought and sold for profit. And the UK is not immune to this evil. There's an estimated 136,000 victims right here in the UK, right now. And the National Crime Agency say that modern slavery is present in every single town and city in the UK and increasingly in rural areas as well. That means it's right here in Amblecote, in Stourbridge, in Dudley, in Hales Owen, in Briley Hill or wherever else you've come from today. So if it's happening here in our communities, how can it happen and how can we recognise it? So we're just going to play a short video now which just explains this. What do you see? There are thousands of slaves in the UK today. Modern slavery preys on the most vulnerable. And it starts with three little words. Want a job? Your heart flutters. It sounds too good to be true. But you want to earn money. Escape abuse. Educate your family. So you say yes. And then things change. You feel confused. There's less pay, more work, more control, until there's no pay and you feel trapped. What do you see? The child asking you for money? Cleaning your car? The guy paving your drive? Or picking your strawberries? The woman working as a maid? 
or in the massage parlor. It could be someone brought here, or the bloke next door. You won't see any chains, because modern slavery doesn't work like that. It takes men, women, and children, and makes them invisible. What do you see? Because if you can see them, there's a way out. Together, we can fight modern slavery. Go to www.unchosen.org.uk. So as that video so powerfully shows, it affects so many industries that we've all likely to have come across modern slaves in some way or another. Maybe in the clothes that we wear. Fashion is one of the biggest uh, employers, if that's the right word, of slaves uh, worldwide. Maybe it's in the food that we eat or the, uh, or the person doing some work on our drive. Or maybe it's in the food, um, or another way, maybe like a car wash or in the nail bar that we use. It's carried out by serious and organized crime who are really good at going across local, national, and international borders. So this is very highly organized crime. And they have one profit, one motive, sorry, and that's pure profit, pure greed, the, the exploitation of fellow human beings for serious amounts of cash. So these uh, guys and girls involved in this could be drug smugglers, they could be um, arms dealers, but actually all of those you can only sell once. If I control all of you guys, I can just keep going out and selling you again and again and again. So you guys are all going to chicken process factory tonight, so I'm sending you off there. You're all going to my car wash. I won't tell you what you guys are doing, but you don't want to know. And you guys are heading to the nail bar. Okay, and that's how it works. I have multiple properties across the area and I can move you around really, really easily. And the thing that I'm most keen on is vulnerability. So I'm looking for any kind of vulnerability. And I think we, as a society, we're really good at putting labels on stuff. We say, oh, that person's living with mental health or that person's an asylum seeker or that person's this. Actually, traffickers don't care about that. They're just looking at vulnerability. And if you're vulnerable, I will exploit you and I will make money from you. And that's, that's how modern slavery works. I'll also do bank fraud. So for all of you, I'll control your bank accounts. I'll open up multiple bank accounts in your name that you don't know about. Each one of those, I can get into between one and two grand's worth of debt pretty easily before you even know about it. And that's another way that I can control you. Because actually, where are you going to go? Um, you, you're already in lots of debt that you didn't know about. I'll do benefit fraud, so we work really closely with the Department of Work and Pensions because traffickers are really good at knowing about all the different benefit loopholes and they'll take people's benefits for them. They'll also do tax fraud as well. So vulnerability is the key to this evil trade and they're masters at both detecting it and exploiting it. So there's no typical victim. They may be male or female, young or old, somebody, uh, your next door neighbor or somebody from another country. Could even be a family member that they're trying to target. It really doesn't matter at all to the gangs, so long as it's a vulnerable person who they can control and coerce to do what they want them to do. So common methods to do that, I said in the video, we don't need chains because we can get people into debt and control them that way. 
or we can threaten them with real or, um, or threats of violence then, or violence to loved ones. So really, in the terms of the gangs, you guys, as my slaves, are the gift who keeps on giving, because I can make you work again and again and again, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And if you're no longer useful to me, I'll just sell you on to the next gang, and I make more money out of that. And you get into more debt by doing that. So people feel that they can never, ever escape. So this is a real sin. It's a stain on our humanity that one section of our population treats other people as subhuman. It grieves God's heart, and I'm sure it grieves yours as it does mine. But sadly, we know that none of us are without sin. In the book of 1 John, it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So through that relationship in Jesus, we can be released from that. Martin Luther, who we talked about earlier, explained it like this. Either sin is with you, lying on your shoulders, or it's lying on Christ, the Lamb of God. Now, if it's lying on your back, you are lost. If it's resting on Christ, you are free and you will be saved. Now choose what you want. I am all too aware of the sin in my life and I don't want to feel it lying on my shoulders. But as followers of Jesus, we get to choose. Do we surrender that to him? Do we surrender that to him each day or do we cling on to it? But that word choose is so key because uh, in this country, we can choose our faith, can't we? We can choose whether we want to follow Jesus. But in so many other countries, that choice just isn't there. And also, for those estimated 136,000 people enslaved in the UK, day in, day out, they are denied that right to choose. They're denied the freedom to choose anything for themselves, the freedom to decide where they want to go and what they want to do, the freedom to work where they want, when they want, at a fair rate of pay for their labour. And sadly, some of them are even have lost the freedom to control who does what with their own bodies. West Bromwich, a town just nine miles away from where we're all sitting now, made international headlines recently, but for all of the wrong reasons. That's because victims of the UK's largest ever modern slavery ring, which forced hundreds of people to work for as little as 50 pence per day, was operating right here in our black country. This is how Sky News talked about it. The gang preyed on homeless people, ex-prisoners and alcoholics from Poland. Their targets were trafficked to the UK after being offered good money. That's so often what happens. It's that too-good-to-be-true kind of thing. But instead, they were housed in squalor. Some of them were desperate to pay money to pay for family members' medical care. So that's another way as a, as a trafficker I can control them, that desperation I can work with. Victims aged from 17 to over 60 were high, housed in at least nine addresses in the West Midlands. One of those could have been on our road. Up to four to a room, they were fed out-of-date food 
and had to scavenge for their own mattresses to sleep on. So these are not luxurious mattresses, as you can imagine. Some of the properties didn't even have working toilets, heating or furniture. So one man had to wash in the canal because he had no other access to water. But that doesn't matter to me as a trafficker because these are subhuman. These are my horses who are just there to work. So for many in our communities, that yoke of slavery that Paul was talking about, that big thing on people's shoulders, weighing people down, forcing them to go, is an ever-present reality. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, year after year after year. So modern slavery is much, much closer than we think. But we might think that actually, in a church context, we're just not going to come across it. But I'm just going to invite my colleague up, Debbie, to share her testimony of how modern slavery came to her. Good morning. If I'm sounding very deep, I have had this voice all week. So after that amazing worship, I've practically got nothing left now. But praise God. Modern slavery is hidden in plain sight. And I know it's a very emotive subject. It's a subject that's really quite ugly and exposes the evil of this world. And some of us don't like these kind of conversations. I used to feel that way at one point. But God brought something into my life to make me realise that I'd been called for such a time as this to speak to people like you through a story that unravelled itself in a church where I was in leadership. And exploitation can be sat right next to you. It was sat right next to me in church for four months. So the story goes like this. There was a lovely couple that were coming to our church. He was a landlord and she was his administrator. And they'd been coming to the church for about two or three years. They were, they were good church members they gave well to the church. They volunteered in doing lots of lots of things within the church. They had two beautiful children. And to the outside world, they just looked like a successful business couple, Christian business couple. And then about two or three years after them coming into the church, they started to bring a lady with them. And to keep her dignity and privacy, I'm going to call her Anna. So they started to bring this lady called Anna with them. She was from Poland. And Anna was coming to church for about four weeks. On the fourth week she came into church, they had introduced her as their cleaner. The gentleman ran a successful um, business where he had several properties across Wolverhampton and he was letting the rooms out. The rooms were being let out to successful businessmen, mainly working for the NHS as doctors or surgeons. When Anna was sat next to me on about the fourth week of coming to church, she started to overwhelmingly cry during worship. Everything in my gut told me that that was not crying out because she had been moved by the Holy Spirit. It was a painful cry. It was a deep cry from her soul that something wasn't right. And so as I sat there, I thought, how am I going to find out what's wrong with her? So after the service, I just simply made her a cup of tea and offered her a seat by me to have a conversation, to have a chat. And I didn't start asking her what was wrong. 
I just knew I needed to befriend this lady. And so we just had conversation. I asked her how she was getting on in the country. I asked her what her likes and dislikes were. I asked her if she had any children. And it was that question, do you have any children, where the tears began to flow. And she said, yes, I have a 14-year-old boy. He's back in Poland. I've come to this country so that I can send money back for his education. I said, okay. And then she said, but please don't tell anybody I haven't had any money, even though I've been doing the work. And I don't want to get my employers. And she eyed over to the young gentleman. I don't want to get my employers into trouble. If I hadn't have had the training on how to spot the signs of modern slavery and know what to do with safeguarding and the channels to report it to, I would have been very lost in that situation. Fortunately, a couple of weeks before, I'd sat down with a, a charity called Hope for Justice. And so I knew that this was a situation that we needed to talk about. Fast forward two weeks later, the lady was deported back to Poland and reunited with her family. And what came to light, because we called the police straight away, what came to light through the police is this lady had been brought into this country by a gentleman living in the house that this gentleman that was coming to church was renting out. She had been living in that house in one room with this man. She had no bank card because he had opened the bank card. She had met him online and he had promised her that he, she could come here and he would help her get her son's education. She was vulnerable. She didn't speak the language, so in this country she was very lost. Her language was limited. You might be wondering, but what about that couple that actually were bringing her to church? They had no idea. They were seeing her every single day, and they had no idea what this man was doing. He was exploiting her every evening. I don't need to go into details with that. The good thing about that story is that we were able to deal with it. As a church, we were able to deal with it. We were able to look after her. And once she had gone back to Poland, we were able to look after the couple, who, as you can imagine, felt very guilty and, and just couldn't believe that they had housed this situation. The great thing is that because of the Modern Slavery Act 2015, Section 45 meant that this couple did not get prosecuted because they were unaware of the crime that they were committing by harbouring this woman in such an exploitive situation. And so I want to encourage you to embrace justice. I want to encourage you today that whoever you are, no matter what age, regardless of where you are in life, you have, with the right education, the right equipping, and the right training, the ability to help eradicate modern slavery. Every single person has that ability. It's just the willingness to want to do so. Thank you, Debbie. So we might be thinking, what can we do to tackle modern slavery? How can God's freedom be a reality to those in slavery now? And the great thing is that this hope in Jesus we can share. Christ has set us free, so we must stand firm and use the tools he has given us. So I often talk about a partnership approach, a bit like a jigsaw. 
So actually, you might have one piece of the jigsaw that the police or those others involved in it really need. It might be that house on your street where people are coming all hours, about every 15 to 30 minutes, lots of young men visiting. Uh, you don't see, you saw some girls go in there, but they didn't come out again. That might be the kind of information that they need. Or that van that stops at the end of your street uh, and drops off lots and lots of people. Or um, the car wash, where it's just so cheap, you know, it's great. It's only two pounds, and they do my big car. And actually, do we stop and think about how is it so cheap? And actually, are those people wearing the right clothing? Are they um, protected in that way? So as a charity, we're doing lots of work to build this up. Um, we work for something called Wolverhampton and Warsaw Anti-Slavery Partnership, which brings together police, councils, community groups, um, the DWP, anybody really with an interest in modern slavery, because it takes a whole partnership approach to help this. Um, Debbie's doing some really innovative work with the Mothers' Union across um, the Church of England to help to raise awareness of that. We're doing some work with the lottery to look at how can we build partnerships across the whole of the black country. How can we make those partnerships stronger? So I said at the start that we can be people of hope. And I love this prayer that's in Romans. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think this is my real take-home message that I want you to take today. So God fills up us with his hope so that we can overflow to others. So just think about where you're going to be next week. Is it someone at the school gate that you see who might be in need, who might just need that overflow of hope? Is it somebody on your bus who looks anxious or lost? Is it a colleague who's struggling at work? Do they need that overflow of hope? Or is it a potential victim of modern slavery at your local car wash where you can alert the authorities? So God has given us all gifts and talents and abilities. And it's thinking for each one of us, how does God want us to use those? How many of you have one of these? A mobile phone? Probably most of you. You can download uh, some really simple apps. If you go to a car wash, that will help you to look at whether your car wash has indicators of modern slavery. Um, there's another really good one that allows you to report things of modern slavery. It might be that you're part of a community group and you'd like that community group to hear a talk like this, to learn what modern slavery is. So we can come to you as a charity and do that training. We're doing that with lots of homeless shelters and drop-ins and things like that because we know, as in that case study, that can make the real difference. I'm just going to end um, with a quote from Martin Luther King. He said, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects us all. I'm just going to say that last bit again. Whatever affects one, or Jesus might say, whatever affects any least of my brothers, affects all indirectly. So this is something that matters. This is something that's important, and this is something that we can all come together on and do something about.
So I'm just going to end with a moment's silence. So you might just want to bow your head or however you feel most comfortable. I pray, Lord, that anything that we've said today that's not of you, you just take that away. But Lord, I pray that you might speak to us, that you might help us to to know how we can help those 136,000 suspected victims. God, how might you want us as your followers to bring freedom to those bound up in slavery? And how can we all keep our eyes and ears open to say we see you to any victims who are local to us? Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Humble Cape Christian Centre. For more information about who we are, what we believe and how you can get involved, check out our website at www.humblecopechristiancentre.org.uk.